0: Although they are rarely engaged in the same place, the intersection of somatics and politics provides the space for bodies to speak back to state institutions and corporate interests that regulate so much of our choice. Moving across bodies, somatics, and activism politics allows us to think seriously about how we can cultivate a public discourse that is responsive rather than reactive to the inevitable shifts in the balance of our lives
1: to have to just interview someone that's been so well thought and so well lived in the experience is just a real a real grateful pleasure
2: welcome to dropped in a podcast about cultivating resilience through artistic practice host paul singh and aaron brando drop in with artists activists, teachers, and improvising human beings to discuss the politics and poetics of somatic practice and purposeful embodiment in a world of ever-shifting obstacles. Today we speak with Ann Cooper Albright, a dancer, scholar, and a 2019-2020 Guggenheim Fellow. Ann is a professor and chair of the Department of Dance at Oberlin College. She's the author of several books, including her recent How to Land, Finding Ground in an Unstable World, which foregrounds the importance of embodiment as a means of surviving the disorientation of our 21st century world. Anne is a true inspiration, a committed practitioner and prominent voice in the world of contact improvisation dance. She has taught workshops in CI throughout the United States and abroad. She's currently planning the monumental 50th year celebration of the form. Join us as we drop in with Anne Cooper Albright.
1: Take a few seconds to remember the feeling of a task you completed this morning. The taste of your first drink, the feel of cloth sliding onto your skin as you dressed. And then shift forward to now, and name the task you're in as you're listening to this. You've moved from memory to possibility, from known to unknown. And now, move further with us. So interested what your take is on the difference between this civil unrest right now, coupled with COVID, the pandemic is so interesting because time. There is so much time that we can devote to this crisis to see it happen longer than most other times civil unrest happened because there is kind of a. Um, Um, uh, uh, expiration date on those because of the logistics of life and work. Even though the 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 feeling of what's happening never goes away, but here because of the pandemic, everyone has time. Like time is this thing you can yield to because we don't we aren't forced to go back to work. All we can do is sit in this and deal with it. So I think these this idea this 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 crisis of race and a need for acknowledgement of black and brown bodies that has to happen longer is going to happen. So I'm wondering, what is your take and what the long-term after effects might or could look like mm-hmm. on us and on the body since we will be in this for longer than we usually are?
0: Mm-hmm. So, Because I, I do feel sometimes as if when you're writing consciously that there's something about the the amount of time spent trying to craft words that is useful. I'm just going to read two paragraphs. Don't get nervous. (laughs) This book is situated at the intersection of somatics and politics, the place where bodily perception meets social engagement. In contemporary America, bodies are most often defined by the visible marks of gender, race, class, ability, age, sexuality, and religion. These cultural categories are both personal and political. They affect how we are seen and how we see ourselves. But they do not tell the whole story of our somatic experience. Embodiment neither takes place outside of culture, nor is it totally determined by that context. By using somatic exploration as a way to connect with the experience of the body as lived, I attend to another kind of knowing, one that gets balanced to physical sensation and bodily perception. In contemporary America, somatic inquiry is often facilitated as part of an individual practice of bodily awareness. In the context of yoga, movement therapy, contemporary dance release techniques or fitness training, The focus on visual imagery and breathing that is so central to somatic practices can make a big difference in how we inhabit our bodies. Rather than thinking of somatic education only in terms of physical development or even personal empowerment, however, this book charts the ways in which this kind of bodily exploration can foster communal interaction and civic responsibility. My teaching throughout the 21st century has focused on bringing people in my classes into states of being that are based in proprioceptive and haptic sensibilities. I often remark that in America, seeing is believing and feeling is suspect. This is not to suggest that one sense is more valuable than the other, but rather to underline how the current visual economy takes up the majority of our conscious attention. Connecting the theoretical with the practical, I argue that our tactile awareness can create a different way of engaging with other people, one that does not rest solely on the politics of visibility. Throughout this book, I interweave descriptions of personal experiences and movement practices with discussions of historical events and their political ramifications in order to demonstrate the significance of bodies in shaping as well as reflecting our attitudes about ourselves and the world. Although they are rarely engaged in the same place, the intersection of somatics and politics provides the space for bodies to speak back to state institutions and corporate interests that regulate so much of our choice. Moving across bodies, somatics, and activism politics allows us to think seriously about how we can cultivate a public discourse that is responsive rather than reactive to the inevitable shifts in the balance of our lives. And the covid crisis is really interesting because there's, you know, whenever you have a health crisis, you have to you have to think to yourself how is the government manipulating this? You know what I mean? Like how is it that we are being kept apart, and is that important, and at what point is that less important than coming together? Um, the kinds of practices that we that you know we spend time teaching to people are precisely the kinds of practices that could be really useful you know this this sense of You know, I talk about kind of responsiveness, resilience, and and resistance. You know, it's like these practices could be useful across the board, not just for, you know, a bunch of nice middle-class, you know, white people that go up to earth dance and find themselves, but for, you know, police forces, for military. I mean, there are lots of situations where people don't have but could really use the kind of, you know, grounding connection with your body that that we do. Um and I think, you know, for my own work, um certainly when I wrote How to Land, which, you know, was the hardest book I ever wrote just because it was so personal and also so political. Um that that I really felt like if I could make the connection to these practices aren't just individual, but they can actually sponsor, you know, communal um, practices that are important. That that was you know that's kind of getting the ideas and the practices together is kind of my um, evangelistic kind of <laughs> you know banner here Whoa. and. I mean, one of the things that I find very interesting is I can't practice contact with other people right now, but I can practice contact with the world nonetheless. You know, I can still be in my body in a way that is receptive, that is responsive, that is, you know, and it's not just about being out in beautiful nature, it's about just keeping yourself. Present in that way, so that even if you are undone, depressed, confused, you know like not sure what's going on, you can still find a way to energize that moment um, and you know, I would say that that I think you know i mean the the chapter um, on connection deals with race a lot, right and and the whole question of skin as the place where race is both kind of marked and marked up. Right. Um, but the last, the last line of that chapter in the book, um, is okay. (laughs) I was like, is something about, and maybe I'll just, let me, let me get to it. Um, because I remember when I wrote it, it was, yeah, it was, it was switching a little bit. So the last line, well, can I read the last chapter? I mean, the last paragraph, do you guys
2: mind? Please.
0: Okay. If, I, as I've argued throughout this chapter, bodily connection is the basis of our being in the world, the questions become, how do we access this foundation of intercorporeality How do we draw upon this interconnectedness of self and other to build a just society? How can we cultivate our responsiveness at the level of our connective tissue in order to generate a responsibility to other people, other ideas, other ways of moving in the world? Opening our pores to the possibility of feeling another is a physical practice that produces a certain flexibility of mind. As we become more attentive to these possibilities, the boundaries of ourselves become more porous, such that we can invite another's trespass, revel in their proximity, and witness their experience as well as our own. This exchange necessarily moves us in ways that feel disoriented or orienting, risks making us lose our bearings, or at the very least, our expectations of who we are and who they are. Contact touching and being touched. This fleshy corporeal connection provides the grounds from which we move through the world and carries the potential to fundamentally revise how we think about ourselves and others. It seems to me then that the crucial question is not, how do I connect with another, but rather what stops me?
1: Um, I wanted to ask you actually about connection. Um, when you said you were talking about panic a little bit earlier and you know, what happens to the body. I sometimes right now I'm more, I get more worried about panic in the body of um, the police and the ones wearing the riot gear and their reactions sometimes that are reactionary to peaceful protest, What I'm seeing and that panic, it's like a, a sense of disconnect actually or fear or responsiveness um, But when I see, when I'm looking at pictures and witnessing this, I see so much disconnect from those officer's to their own bodies, and then you see a real disconnect from them to the protesters in all the gear that they're wearing, Mm -hmm. the layers and layers, and then the helmet, and then the um, rubber guns. And when I watch that disconnect from themselves, then further layers from the people that are protesting. And because of all that disconnect, there's little room for empathy or seeing where the other side and point of view is coming from. And I just want to speak to that. I feel a lot of disconnect in my own body from former trauma from injury. Um, Yeah, I had a really bad, um, I was in a very, very bad car accident. And um, I remember my mind and my body like the moment of actual disconnect of actually them splitting and severing. And I feel like from then till now, it's just a constant trying to reconnect those two things and i used to do this action of my neck and my head splitting and i had to stop doing the physical action of representing that because it was just enabling my body to remember what they felt like separately and it was intense because you know i was considered dead on arrival you know spine gone head cracked open shattered femur into the point where it's like how do i start mending this and never to the point where i thought i could be practicing contact improvisation this aside somehow i see that relation now and i see this disconnect on a larger level between the bodies i'm talking about protesters and police and the layers between them so i guess my question is um as someone who really understands what connection can do and what contact improvisation can do for connecting um I wanna understand better how that grounding connectedness through Contact Improv can help us connect to each other in other ways outside of the dance studio, et cetera.
0: Um, because one of the things that I've experienced um, among uh, you know, academics, my colleagues, is that um, there are a lot of ways we can think the right thought but our bodies are less comfortable being in the same space. Mm. So, you know, the kind of, when people talk about microaggressions, you know, they may be talking about things on their Instagram or whatever, but oftentimes I read it as um, a kind of just like a slight turning off. And, you know, and this is class too, somebody who's too loud it's in your face too much, you know, um, is coming from a different environment so that they're, you know, they're not socialized the way you were socialized, right? So it could be about screaming. I mean, some people, you know, scream, their families scream, they are always in each other's face. Other people that's like considered, you know, aggressive, or mean, or, you know, just like, you know, street, right? So I think that it's really, um, it's really about finding a way to both understand that and be reflective for yourself. Like, where am I turning off somewhere? You know, am I, you know, kind of, or also um, recognizing that, like. If you're feeling a little moment of wanting to withdraw, how do you stay present? How do you stay really available, you know, without um, your ego getting in the way, without your uh, expectations getting in the way, without, uh, yeah, without all of that stuff. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, here's, here's a great story that should make you laugh. So, um, I, I was call, I was emailed right now. I, I am a very limited person. Like when it comes to, I don't Google a million people to find out who they are. You know, I, it's just not my cup of tea. I'm just like, fine. So I get this email from this person, who is in a graduate program and I figure that they want to come try to recruit some of my students So they're saying, you know, I'm going through can we meet for lunch and that da, da, da. I was like sure But before lunch, I'm teaching a contact class And the person was oh, well, I don't you know really dance anymore and blah blah blah. I was like Get your dance pants on and be there at 10 <laughs> so how was I to know that this particular person was black and a ballerina? Right. So how far can you get from what we're doing in contact? Right. Uh And if I had looked them up, (laughs) I would never have been like, you need to come in here. But they came in, they took the class and afterwards, they said, oh, my gosh, that was so great. I haven't been in the kind of physical contact with people and, you know, particularly students. And, you know, it was satisfying to that person. And, you know, and then we went out to lunch. But it's, it's just one of those things that I think is really important. To me, that's a moment of saying, if you knew what the expectations were, then you would never have crossed over that gulf of like, come on. We're going to do this together. We want to talk about things. We're going to have a dancing experience first. So that's, I mean, a kind of, you know, light antidote. But I think it shows how it can be, you know, and I see this all the time. I see this in terms of mess and bodies, whether it's aging bodies or young bodies or disabled bodies We aren't used to that kind of mess a lot of times. But the thing is, I think contact, you, you know, you start to get used to a little more mess. I mean, there are students now who dance and have danced for a long time without ever taking their socks off. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, what does it mean to say we're going to start by massaging our feet? (laughs) <laughs> and then several weeks later we're going to start by massaging someone else's foot pass your foot to the right you know that these are ways of you know teaching all kinds of things but it's also a breaking down um the kind of messiness of bodies that you know to talk go back to your question paul about zoom you know there's kind of a way in which zoom doesn't you know, cleans up everybody's interactions, right? And, a, go yeah. ahead.
2: Uh, well, I don't know. I'm chomping. I'm I'm chomping at the bit here to uh, to to um to read this uh this little section of your book. Um, okay. Because I think it really relates to um, what you were talking about about the skin uh, being this boundary. It also relates to, um, the inherent mess that is so important to deal with. And that inherent mess is actual contact with other human beings and all that's entailed in that. Um, I think about, uh, one of my first teachers, Martin Keogh, who used to, who used to always say, uh, contact is a practice of expanding your capacity for being awkward. Mm. Um, and, um, and, and there's, and then, um, and then again, I, I, I keep on returning to, and, and it is my own, mm, gosh, I want to preface it with one more thing, uh, uh, just to continue to give ode to, to my primary teacher, Nancy Stark-Smith. We used to, we used to, we used to go at it because Nancy has had a real value around, um, energetic arrival being a a solo practice being her lying on the ground and really dropping the layers and uh that to her was energetic arrival for me i was always one who would get into the studio and cuddle up with a friend or lie on top of someone and breathe immediately and and really needed that um that co-regulation to to drop me in and i believe that we were actually getting to the same point and 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 on the same trajectory and just had two different two different uh avenues and we never quite you know like we just agreed to disagree on that one in the end um but i'm still at a loss around the for me the personal urgency to get back (laughs) into co-regulating with other human beings um and the and the the collective pain that i feel that that continues to be prohibitive um and, and 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 deemed as unsafe and i'm gonna read this part of your book that really struck me many of us grew up in a germophobic atmosphere in which our skin is seen as the container separating the clean self from the dirty outside. This defensive mentality positions our skin as the secure barrier to disease, infection, or any kind of otherness, including other races. Here, skin is envisioned as a wall, a solid border, meant to keep us safe from the bad infiltration of our system, be it communism, immigrants, or swine flu. The admonition, wash your hands from our childhoods, resonates with various contemporary public health campaigns whose well-intentioned mottos encouraging us to sanitize breed a fear of contamination that closes down our sensation and closes off our skin. In these circumstances, touching and being touched becomes difficult. Um, and, then, and then I just, there's just one other little thing that you write in another paragraph following this that says if on the other hand I conceive of my skin as the porous medium of exchange between the self and the world then I will be more apt to experience it as permeable sensitive layer that can facilitate the experience of living.
0: Yeah it's pretty good I think.
2: (laughs) Me too. Me too. And I. And I. I I'm. I, it is so hard to to divorce myself from my own individual reactions to what's happening, and my own sense of uh, outrage at being being governed and told what to do by these bodies like the WHO or the CDC or Governor Baker in Massachusetts. And the symbol that I want to represent is not a symbol of being precaution and taking care of others. It's more of a symbol of this is the utmost importance. It is of the utmost importance, and this does serve that that um, that idea of taking care of each other.
0: I mean, this is where kind of history is interesting because a lot of that paragraph that you read comes from an analysis of um, you know kind of the Cold War and the way in which you know kind of medicalization of disease as something that comes from outside yourself, right? So by the time you get to the end of the 20th century, disease is all about autoimmune. It's not so much until COVID, right? Till COVID, disease was less about you know the outside coming in. But certainly in the 40s and the 50s, that whole kind of Cold War moment, um, it was about, you know, like that was the moment when they took all the petroleum factories and went from, you know, making guns to making 18 different kinds of cleanser for your toilet bowl, you know, to like making sure all the women who were out there working in factories and had some independence would like, you know, become like domestic engineers or whatever they called it. You know, like these are the kinds of things where history gives you a sensibility um, oh, that's why they were so worried about germs. I get it. You know, they were worried about the communists. So I think it does give one a sense of, you know, I think it's important to have some resistance to what people are telling you to do. Um, At the same time, I think it's also important to recognize, you know, like I have a full contact class for the fall. I'm not going to teach that class. I'm going to teach a physical mindfulness class because we will not be able to, even if we have students here on the fall, it's going to be, you know, very much a socially distanced, you know, kind of situation. So I'm going to save that class for later in the spring and switch my teaching, right? Switch it from spring to, or fall to spring. Um, That you know, that is just a recognition that we're working within certain kinds of structures. And it would be stupid for me to insist um, on some kind of, you know, physical contact at a moment when not only could it get me fired, but it could also damage, you know, like it could potentially hurt other people. On the other hand, when we, there was, remember the H1N1, what I call the high knee flu. Yep. You know, they were all like bent out of shape about the Heine flu and you couldn't get within X number of feet of one another. I taught contact that entire semester, mm. three times a week, two hours of class, Sunday jam. And I just kept saying, wash your hands. You know, me who resists that. Right. I'm, You know, but I was like, OK, wash your hands before you eat. Just wash your hands before you eat. I mean, it's really interesting because when, you know, you look at kind of statistics about germs, it's not the floor, right? There are more germs on your cell phone than there are on the floor or a kitchen counter. All right. I mean, you know, when I tell my students that they're all like, whoa, but that doesn't keep them from sharing cell phones a million times a day and, you know, all of that stuff. So I think, yeah, you have to decide what are the places that, you know, there's too much caution and what are the places where it's, you know, critical for the health of other people to pay to pay attention and to follow? Um, I do think that a lot of the work that gets us to the place where we can, um, you know, actually physically touch one another can still happen, um, but you know, just in terms of, of kind of following up your conversation about Nancy and, you know, warming up, what takes to arrive, Um, you know, the kind of slightly uh, kind of, you know, rebellious punk rocker in me, like sometimes when my class comes in, we arrive by dancing to Marvin Gaye or Melissa Etheridge or, you know, somebody else that happens to be on my iPod right? You know, something my kid put on or something like that. So a lot of times, I think there is a sense of the only way to arrive, like there's fascism in contact, right? You know, we know that, right? The only way to arrive is to get a certain way, where sometimes I just want to be like, can we, can we do this now? Yes, this is what we need. Okay. And then we can move on, you know, that these are practices that don't always have to start one way and finish another, that you can mix things up um so taking that kind of sense of you know th- that okay if if we can't move this way how else can we keep things going energetically without letting the system shut us down
1: it's so funny i'm conflating two ideas we just talked about but the the phrase i want to be contaminated with your presence popped into my head and i really i like the idea of that because Brando had alluded to, um, he said at the beginning of this, he was asking me, he said, do you have someone? And I knew exactly what he meant. He meant something like a touch buddy, someone in you trusted could do your two weeks of self-isolation. You knew their travel paths to a certain degree, and you could have open conversations before you tried to dance together in close contact. And I thought, what a great idea if you could manifest that. But it's interesting the way that you talk and the way that we're working through Zoom, I really do feel I can Really try my best to cultivate a sort of presence you can help drop me into and give me of yours that can help me still tap into myself and do exactly what you said. You can still be in contact with the world. It's still a a very self-place that you can still ground into, move through and out to, and just get us ready for the time that we can be in each other's flesh again. Um, And I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think three dimensionality is a big one. Like, you know, how do you kind of not let zoom or a screen kind of take over your life? Well, one way is constantly be reminding yourself of backspace of that kind of density and the three dimensionality of the world. Paul, you were talking about injury and that sense of connecting um, with yourself. So a lot of times Whether it's trauma, physical trauma, emotional trauma, political trauma, we tend to think we have to heal ourselves whole before we can kind of move forward in the world. But people with, you know, injury and constant, you know, something or other, they it's not about getting whole before they move forward in the world. They're in the world, they have this situation, they're just gotta deal with it, you know, and there are ways to deal with it, and ones to like buy. What the world says about you, and another is to just do your own thing. You know, like I keep saying, it's no accident that when I turned 60, I started working on a book on Simone Forti, whose career took off in her late 70s, and who, with Parkinson's, is still performing. You know, so like, how cool is that? How inspirational is that to not let something stop you from doing what you need? And I think that that sense for me of, you know, pores of the skin opening was critical for me when I started to think about how air could support my body, how the world and even air, which we think of as absence, can support my body so that my broken bones or my back that doesn't work doesn't need to be the only thing supporting me. Mm. You know, and I think, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the most critical ideas that come out of contact is that sense of, you know, you don't have to support yourself. You don't have to move on your own two feet all the time. That so much beautiful dancing can happen, letting other people support you. So take that idea that's part of a practice and insist on it in other parts of your life.
1: Yes, yes. Yes.
2: I love that. I love that. I want to, I think I want to wrap up with that. Um, Sounds good. And uh, gosh, I mean, I just, um, I feel really touched um, by getting to um, have the privilege and the opportunity to share this moment with you. Um,
0: Just to tell you (laughs) that despite all of this, I am going forward with the 50th anniversary of contact improvisation.
2: Oh, I'm right. I'm right there with you, Anne. Believe me. By
0: 2022, you can come move in this beautiful space with many other people and we can, you know, and we can evaluate the form and talk about how we can make it better, how we can make it more accessible, how we can do all kinds of stuff. But I feel as if, you know, I I think even now, even now when we're not allowed to do it, I want to say, It has a 50-year presence in the world. It has a history. It has ideas in it that are so important. And so I'm not going to let, you know, this situation keep me from full steam ahead. Like, you know what I mean? Like, here's the moment where there is no fucking way. I'm going to put in the kind of time that is going to be required to make this happen in two years unless I feel absolutely like this is going to happen. We just have to make it happen. I don't care what it is. I don't care how we accommodate whatever situation we're in. It's going to happen.
1: I can't wait to be a part of it. Um, And I'm so grateful for your time and to finally get to meet you after knowing all about you for so long. It's funny, when I was prepping for this interview, I kept coming up with like Questions because I was agitated, and then I would read more of your introduction of your book and be like, oh, she answered it, up, oh, she addressed it, up, oh, she got it. And I was like, well, damn it. Like, I want to like get at this woman. But to have to just interview someone that's been so well thought and so well lived in the experience is just a real, a real grateful pleasure.